And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. Well, if you'd have called last night at midnight and said, Rob, what are you preaching in the morning? Jennifer, I would have said, I'm going to preach a message that I've entitled, The Perfect Storm. I would borrow from the June 30th, 2000 movie, The Perfect Storm. And I would tell you, I don't believe they had the perfect storm. But if you want to know about the perfect storm, I would have said, I'm going to have you turn your Bibles, Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22, and we'll see the perfect storm. But I fell asleep. And God must have come in that cabin, and He went and changed the message. So you folks that are turning to Matthew 14, 22, that's not where I'm going. But if you want to read about it, you'll read in there the true perfect storm. Perhaps he's keeping that message till next week because that storm happened on a lake. Who knows? Besides God. I will preach to you this morning a message that I preached before. When I woke up this morning... This message burned on my heart. I've preached it before, and it's at times like these that I preach it. I start this sermon that I preached before off with the question, Is there a spiritual question that the best of the best theologians cannot answer? And I believe the crowd that looks at me and listens to me today would say, well, sure, Pastor, because theologians are only humans. So I would say even the best of the best theologians, there would be a spiritual question that even they could not answer. But then I would say, is there a spiritual question that the devil and the demons of hell cannot answer. And if I asked it like that, some of you'd look at me at that, like that calf at the new gate and say, the devil, come on, he's dumber than a rock. I'd remind you, he is the one that kicked the props out from under us. I would remind you, next to Jesus Christ, he may know the word better than anybody. So be careful when you don't think he can answer spiritual questions. But I would say to you, after reminding you he is the one that kicked the props out from under us, and after saying to you, second to Jesus, he may know the Word of God better than anybody, there is a spiritual question that even the devil and the demons of hell cannot answer. But probably when I said to you, is there a spiritual question that not even the triune Godhead could answer? Some of you'd probably bristle up and say, there's not one spiritual question that the Trinity cannot answer. Come on, Rob, do you think there is a spiritual question that God the Father, who created the universe and inspired the Bible to be written, do you really think there's a spiritual question that He cannot answer? Come on, do you think the second person of the triune Godhead, that be God the Son, Jesus Himself, 
who said in the volume of the book it is written to me, search the Scriptures for they testify of me. Are you trying to tell me Jesus Christ, the living Word, who the written Word testifies of, you're asking me if there's a spiritual question that the Son of God cannot answer? And then you say, what about the third person of the Trinity? The one who descended after the Son of God ascended, who come to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. You're trying to tell me or ask me if there's a spiritual question that the Holy Spirit cannot answer? I'm telling you, most people would say there is not one question that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit cannot answer. And I would say to you, I beg to differ. And that question is tucked away in the Bible. And the reason that theologians, the devil, and even the triune Godhead cannot answer this question is because it's unanswerable. The question is found in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3, and here's the question. How then shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation. It's unanswerable simply because there is no way to escape if we neglect the so great of salvation that God the Father offered us through God the Son's death, burial, and resurrection who was brought to us by way of the Holy Spirit. There is absolutely, positively no way to escape it. So what about the timing of this message that I preached before? Why do I preach it at these times? If you're listening, say, I am. Don't go to sleep on me today. I'm preaching it behind Kids Camp, behind VBS a few weeks, a month ago here, behind Youth Camp last week before last, and behind Telequal VBS last week, I'm preaching it in front of a huge outreach event next week. I'm preaching it before Daughters of the King, a women's meeting just in a few weeks. And in a month or so, the men will gather for an annual men's retreat, and I will preach it before that. Because I'm convinced... When we go to kids camp and VBS's youth camps, outreaches, men's and women's retreat and meetings, we get all fired up. And then it's not long after going up like a rocket, we come down like a rock. I mean, if you don't think there's something to these events such as kids, such as kids camp, youth camps, and VBS, try Truett Lane, TL. He's just barely over two years old. He spent the night after the finale at VBS Telequal. He mounted up on Miss Molly yesterday. Can you do this? He did. He didn't get off of Miss Molly for two and a half hours straight. 
He gathered three pastures of cows. He was on Miss Molly's back in the pens while we were sorting. And my wife finally says, when we turn out that last pen of cows, and I asked Truett to follow him out of the pen, I, she said, you better get him off of there. I turned around, and the reason she's saying, you better get him off of there, his eyes were shut, his head was bowed, and bobbing as Miss Molly followed the cows out. I guess he was sleep riding. But as tired as he was, when Miss Molly was unsaddled, as heavy as his eyes was, he looked up at me and he said, Pass Paul, we going to VBS? He just barely over two, and he sensed all week long there's something fun about VBS. And I said to him, VBS is over. He said, will we go there tomorrow? And I said, no. He said, will we go there next week, Pastor Paul? And I said, no, we'll go there next year. Now, he don't really understand time. He said, we'll just go to VBS next year. See, T.L. at just barely over two years old was excited about VBS. So the timing of this message that I preached before comes behind our VBSs, our kids' camp, our youth camp, before our outreach, women's and men's meeting. And I talk about neglecting our salvation. So I want you to listen to me. Point number one, we may ask, why is this so great a salvation? It doesn't matter if it's VBS and the teachers and the leaders. It doesn't matter if it's kids camp or youth camp, the preacher of the week. It don't matter if it's an outreach. It don't matter if it's a men or women's meeting. Let me tell you what the speaker's going to do. He's going to get up and he is going to preach his heart out with fire and zeal why we have such a great salvation. And that's exactly what I'm going to tell you today. Why is it a great salvation? Number one, our salvation is free. It's by grace, through faith, that we've been saved, not of ourselves, not of works. It is a gift of God. The wages of sin is death, but eternal life, and listen, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. We get up and we explain to people why salvation is so great. It costs us absolutely nothing, but this gift costs Jesus, the Son of God, not corruptible things such as silver and gold, but He was the Lamb of God. He was without spot. He was without blemish. And He redeemed us by shedding His blood on Calvary's cross. And it's been paid for. It's a gift. And it's offered to whosoever. And the preachers, whether at VBS, kids camp, youth camp, outreach, or just today, they say the great thing about salvation, number one, it is free, even though it costs God His Son. 
Then they would come behind that, whether at VBS, youth camp, kids camp, and say, salvation, why this gift is so great? Not only is it free, it's forgiving. We've all sinned and we've all come short of the glory of God. But if we'll come to these altars, listen, and confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If you've got some sin in your life today, come today and He'll say, I'll cast it as far as the east is from the west. I'll bury it in the seas of forgetfulness. Listen, why it's a great salvation? We've all sinned. We're all guilty. And He says, come to Me and I will forblot it out. I will make your sins white as snow. I don't know about you, but that's pretty good stuff. Why it's great, it's free. Why it's great, it's forgiving. And then I'd tell you why it's great, it's full. The devil come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that we may have life and we may have life more abundantly. Let me tell you why it's a great salvation. You're going to have circumstances and you're going to have storms and they don't have to get you down because God says, I can let you live on top of those circumstances, on top of those storms. Amen? It's a great salvation because not only it's free, forgiving but it's full and I like this one why it's so great it's forever and I'm appreciating that more and more the older I get and the more artificial joints I've got how about when we're in high school we're running fast jumping high how about when we're in our 20's we're running fast and jumping high And some of us are fortunate enough to have that in our 30's and even in our 40's huh But let me tell you something. You don't run as fast as you once did. You don't jump as high as you once did. And, and, and at VBS the other night, I, I was by myself. And see, I just do this kind of stuff when I'm by myself. I looked down there and there were some chairs at the end of the hallway of our new building. And I thought to myself, I said, self, break loose, run, and jump them like a hurdle. And I broke loose and I realized what Cody Soulsby should have realized when he was on that 50 dirt bike in loose ground in the arena. I'm not going fast enough. I don't have enough momentum to jump those chairs. And right before I got them, I aborted mission because I knew this left leg just don't lift as high as it once did. I aborted mission. I thought, doggone, I can't even jump a chair no more. And then I thought about why is this so great? I thought about standing on an inch and a half pipe, one foot on each one of them at Las Vegas Stars a few years ago at a NFR, junior NFR. And, and, I, and I thought about standing there and all the contestants at the big NFR, they's over at the Thomas and Mac, they's busy. But there was this guy below me. I mean, he could have just reached out and patted my leg. His name's Fred Whitfield. And he's standing right at, right at the bottom of the alleyway where I'm preaching. And when I crawled up on that fence, I said, Fred, can I use you as an illustration in this message? He said, Lord, no. And so I obliged him and used him anyway. And I was talking about the foreverness of salvation. And I said, look right down here to my left. And I pointed to Fred Whitfield. I said, notice he's out here watching the junior kids rope today. He's not over getting ready. Now, if you don't know who Fred Whitfield is, he's got to make everybody's top five list of the greatest Kiff Ropers ever. And when I said that, he looked up at me and he said, Rob, all, things, all good things must come to an end. And I looked at him and I said, I beg to differ, Fred. Because one Tuesday morning in an old Mack truck, 
Listen, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. He come into my heart. He forgive me of my sins. It was free. It was forgiving. And I've not had a fuller life since that Tuesday morning. And I don't have to worry about it ending because calf ropers might come to an end. Basketball players might come to an end. Jumping chairs might come to an end. But when you trust Jesus Christ, listen, it is forever. And I'm here to tell you, that's why it's so great a salvation. And so that happens. Where? VBS, kids camp, youth camp. That happens at outreaches. Preachers come in and they explain why it's so great a salvation. And then at youth camp, listen here, they begin to get these kids, men, women, on their knees in prayer. They begin to get them in the Word of God. They begin to see people saved because they understand why it's so great a salvation. And they come to that youth camp just empty like that. But look here. They talk about prayer. They talk about the Word of God. And I want you to look. Then people begin to start fizzing for Jesus. I mean, they get all fired up. Look at it. It's bubbling. But then what happens? They leave VBS. They leave kids camp. They leave youth camp. They leave the men's meeting. They leave leave the women's meeting. And they leave their fizzing for Jesus. They're all fired up. But you just watch it. Just keep watching it. Pretty soon, the fizz will leave. They know why it's so great a salvation. And they've even partook of what it takes when you've tasted this great salvation in that of prayer, Bible study, and worship. Can I remind you this morning that Hebrews chapter... Be wise to set that off here, lest the preacher knock that off. Get that plum out of the preacher's way. So I've told you why it's so great a salvation. Now let me tell you ways we neglect that so great a salvation. See, at VBS, at kids camp, youth camp, men's meetings, women's meetings, see, there's a designated time for prayer. There's a designated time for Bible study. There's designated times this last two weeks ago, Dave, two times a day, there was designated worship services. Listen, wasn't nowhere else to be. Wasn't a birthday party, wasn't a, wasn't a, wasn't nowhere else to be. So where was they at? On their knees at prayer time. Wasn't nowhere else to be, ball practice or nothing else. Wasn't no place to be out there, grown ups, whatever you make excuse. Wasn't no other place to be at that minute. You was in the Word of God. Wasn't no other place to be. So where was you at? You was at the worship service that morning. Where was you at? You was at the worship service that evening. But what happens? We come home and there's other places to be during prayer time. There's other places to be during Bible time. And there's other places we think we'd rather be than worship time. So how do we neglect our salvation? A very poor commitment to our prayer life. 
I want you to listen to me. When I go to these youth and kids camp, I listen to prayers. I listen to people coming up there and thanking God for their salvation, like Philippians 4, 6 says, and then letting their requests be made known to God. Thank you for saving me, but i got some requests here. I've got a lost mama. I've got a lost daddy. I've got a lost brother. I've got a lost sister. I've got some issues in my life. I hear those prayers at youth camp. And then I hear prayers of repentance. Oh God, listen, it was here last year that I got all fizzed up for you, that I caught on fire for you. But I gotta admit, I only fizzed for a little while and then I went flat and I listen in these prayer altars about people praying of repentance and I went and let my fire go out and I want to rededicate my life. But I tell you, I love to hear prayers of thanksgiving and request and I love to hear prayers of repentance and rededication. But in in those youth camp altars, I hear people praying of availability. One of them's Miss Addie that had done it this week. She said, I'm here, Lord, and I'm willing to sing for you. You need somebody to sing? Miss Addie said, here am I, send me. You need somebody to stand in the gap when it's song time? Here I am. I'll stand in the gap. And that's what she was doing. Her and Gabby and others. I hear those kind of prayers. And I watch them fizzing for Jesus. But a lot of them come back and they're here a week or two and it's gone. You know what happened? Poor commitment to their prayer life. But then you know what else happens? Poor commitment to their Bible time. You know the Bible says to be diligent, to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be shamed, rightly dividing the Word of God, the Word of truth. What happens? There's other things. You go to a men's meeting, men. You go to a women's meeting, women. And you know the importance of getting in the Word of God. But when you get home, there's other things to do. There's kids to get ready. There's this to cook. There's that to clean. There's this place to be and that place to be. And you know what happens? What gives is your poor commitment to the Word of God. You let it go. Let something else go. And kids come back from youth camp and they've been having Bible time and all of a sudden they're out of their Bible. And then, listen, worship service. It was designated morning and evening worship services. Please hear me out today. And what do I see at those worship services? I see kids getting out of those seats and come broken to altars. And you know what I see? Not only kids at men's retreats, somebody gets out of those chairs broken you know what I see? Not an average Sunday morning service. I see men get out and follow them to the altars and put their hands on them and pray with them. What are they doing? They're assembled together and they're stirring one another up. They're encouraging one another by just surrounding them and putting their hands on them in prayer. Where's that at on a Sunday morning? Youth? Where's that at? Men? In a Sunday morning worship service. Where's that at? Women? Does that happen at women's retreat? I bet it does. Because you let the walls down. Listen, we assemble together every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night for the exact same reasons. That's why it says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some in the last day. The verse before says, why we do it? To stir one another up. To spur one another on. To encourage one another. And then we give an invitation on a Sunday morning and we sit there like wooden Indians on a wooden pew. Why? It ain't that way at a men's retreat. It ain't that way at a, men, a women's retreat, you're telling me. And it sure ain't that way, Dave, at a youth camp. 
I'm watching them when somebody goes hurting, gathering around them, encouraging and spurring them on, don't we? Where's it at? Folks, listen to me. I'm going to make a statement and some of you will get it and agree and you know where I'm going and some of you will take you a minute. We've lived in this world that says practice makes perfect. See, I, I bought that lie. I'm an only generation Kef Roper. I, I was just practicing. I just thought I put in the time. I do it. But one day, Miss Julie, I was in southern part of Oklahoma. He's went on to be with the Lord. But his name was Danny Hamilton. And he stepped up to me. He must have saw something in this old boy that didn't know what he was doing. And he said, I want to tell you something. It took me a long time to learn, Rod. I'm just a kid. He said, you've always heard that practice makes perfect. And I'm here to tell you that's a lie. He probably seen some terrible habits in my roping and in my scoring and in my tying. Don't you imagine? He said, the truth of the matter is perfect practice makes perfect. The Bible says, let us move on to perfection. Is anybody going to be perfect in here? Was there a perfect Christian other than Jesus Christ? No. Was there a great Christian in the Bible? Yes. Paul? Peter? There's greats. Is there the perfect Kef ropers? Is there a perfect ball player? No. But is there great ropers? Is there great ball players? Yes. So I know we're not going to be perfect, but we're to move on to perfection. We're to strive to be. You ready? ready? But here's the deal. Perfect practice makes perfect. And a lot of people says you just got to have devotion. Well, if you're not devoted to your devotions, it's kind of like that saying, practice makes perfect. You can go to your devotion, your prayer time, your Bible study, and your worship service. You can go to those out of duty and never get nothing out of them. See, James put it something like this. You've got to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. That's how he put it. So you get up and you go pray some little prayer out of duty. You open your Bible and read some little scripture out of duty. And some of you come today, you know what? Out of duty. You're sitting there, you're just trying to endure this sermon. But folks, that ain't what it's about. It's about going to prayer as a relationship with God. Talking to God and then listening to God. It's about getting in His Word and letting Him speak to you through His Word. It's about coming to service. Are you with me? Say, I am. And not just out of duty. Here to encourage and love on one another. Amen? So... We devotions ain't going to do it, but when you're devoted to your devotions, that will do it. Remember that sermon I preached? We got to be devoted to devotions. Number one, we got to be devoted to going forward. The Christian life is to be grown in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian life, you can't stand still and you can't go backwards. You've got to be devoted to going forward. See, the Christian life's like an airplane. The airplane is not like the horse and buggy that can stop, sit still, no danger, and even back up, huh? And then come the train. There's no danger in stopping. It's fine, and it can even back up. And then after the train, maybe it was the boat. There's no danger in the boat stopping, reversing the engine, and even going backwards. And how about our vehicles? Come on, there's no danger in stopping a pickup or a car and then putting it in reverse. 
But listen to me, there is huge danger when you're mid-flight of trying to stop the airplane and you can't put it in reverse. Listen to me, if the airplane ain't going forward, where's it going? Not backwards, it's going down. And if you're here today and you're a Christian and you're not going forward, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you're going down. And then, look here, we need to be devoted not only in going forward, but being filled. Fill with the Holy Spirit. And that's continual. You've got to continue to go back and get filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Because when we go out into the world, we get filled with things in the world. And if we don't empty ourselves, then we can't be filled with the Spirit of God. And the Scriptures over and over talk about the danger of living our life according to the flesh and not led by the Spirit of God. Now, I don't know how you young people come in from school today. I've thought a lot about that this week. You know, I used to walk off Elementary Hill at Locust Grove. I mean, the bell rung at Locust Grove, and, and, and there'd just be swarms of kids coming off the hill walking. You go, I'm talking about kindergarten through sixth grade. I'm not talking about high schoolers walking. I'm talking about we come off Elementary Hill, we, there were... 50, 60 kids heading off the hill, heading to their homes in Locust Grove. I'd head to Locust Grove or to Pierce Feed or Pierce Western Store. We headed off there. You with me? And, and I don't know what it's like now. I mean, the kids don't hardly walk home from school. Everybody says it's such a dangerous place. But I know what it was like when I would either come to that Western Store or Feed Store or Grandma June's house. I mean, when we got home from school, we had an after-school snack. And you know, I'm a big eater. I got a big motor. And so I'd try to outrun all them other grandkids in there and I'd try to get their snacks or find where she hid the snacks. But my grandma would always say, one snack, because we don't want to ruin your... See, we had a snack. It didn't quite have the nutrients and things in it we needed to grow. Huh? It was just a snack. It's just to get us by What are you saying, preacher? I'm going to tell you what happens. We snack too much on the things of the world. And we get so full, we lose our spiritual appetite and we have no room for the things of God. Folks, you better be devoted to being filled. And being filled means you can't be filled with so many things in the world or there won't be room for the things of God. We've got to be devoted to going forward, being filled, but we've got to be devoted to being staying focused. Look here. If the Lord can't get you, if the enemy can't get you to not be filled, oh, he's filled with the Spirit, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll distract him. So if he can't get us to get full of the things of the world, he'll distract us with the things of the world. Isn't that right? But what's the Bible tell us to do? Look to Jesus. He's the author and finisher of our faith. Let me tell you what will help you. You want to be devoted to staying focused? If you'll just look to Jesus, listen to Jesus, and you're ready for this third one, you need to hear it. Labor for Jesus. It's pretty hard to get distracted. If you're looking to Him, listening to Him, and here's where a bunch of people, they don't labor for Him. And when you don't labor for Him, it's easy to get distracted when other people are laboring. You've got to be devoted to staying focused, to look to, listen to, and labor for the Lord Jesus. And then listen, we've got to be devoted to shunning fears What's the opposite of fear? 
It's faith. We've heard it over and over and over during this COVID thing. So many people living in fear. Listen, faith comes by hearing and hearing coming by the... So if you have a poor commitment to the Word of God, you're not getting your faith fed and CNN and Fox News and all the social media. What are they doing? They're not feeding your faith. They're feeding your fear. And I'm telling you, you better get devoted to shunning fears. And how you do that, you don't have a poor commitment to prayer and a poor commitment to Bible study and a poor commitment to worship service. You have a wholehearted commitment to those. And then you can be devoted to shunning fears. And then we need to be devoted to building the fellowship. I'm talking about the fellowship of local bodies. We need to attend church services. We need to extend the church. And that's what we do with our time and our talent and our ties. Huh? And then we need to defend it. If there's ever a day and time that the church is getting beat up and banged up, I seen where they interviewed Franklin Graham and what how he hated homosexualities. That's what they said. But I loved it. He said, I don't hate him. I'd love to see him saved, forgiven. Man, it was a good interview. But see what's happening out there today is they're telling us the church is a dinosaur. Right here in the small town of Locust Grove, a preacher's kid said, You guys has just got to come to the fact that the church is no longer a necessity. <laughs> Let me tell you what you ought to be devoted to. You ought to be devoted when somebody says that. Remind them that Christ died for the church. And we better be defending this fellowship and all the fellowships. Amen. But listen, just doing some little prayer and Bible study and worship service out of duty, it won't do that. you got to be devoted to your devotions. And all God's people said, so I've told you why it's so great a salvation. I told you ways we neglect this salvation. Are you ready for the final point? And you said, yes, sir, we're ready to get out of here. You know, when we get to heaven, we're just there. I don't know about you guys. You're going to be watching your clock up there. Come on, when's this worship service going to end? I got news for you, it's not. <laughs> when are we going to get out of here? Well, you're not. And here's the thing. You ain't going to care then. You care today, don't you? So what happens when we neglect our salvation? I'm going to remind you one more time. Hebrews 2.3 is written to believers. Do you understand that? It's written to believers. So what happens if we neglect our salvation? Number one, we lose our joy. You neglect your prayer time, your Bible study, you neglect the things of God, let me tell you what you're going to lose. Your joy. And, and, and we'd better understand, well, I'll just put it like this, some of you are there. I'm here, I look at you, and I think we ought to be able to put a camera up here that shows your face. You get to see my face when I'm preaching. I think you ought to look at your own faces while you're preaching. Because I leave here a lot of times and say, God, I've seen happier faces on the bottle of iodine than what I've seen today. God of heaven, they're just so sober. Where's their joy? Where's their gratitude? 
Come on. When we come to the house of God, there should be joy in the house of the Lord. Joy in the house of the Lord. We were beggars. Now we're royalty. We were prisoners. Now we're free. Where's the joy? You neglect your salvation, you'll lose your joy. Now let me tell you what happened this week. I've got a landlord, 800 plus acres. I guess all the money she needs, I don't know. But she ain't never given me much time when it comes to witnessing. And her spirit and my spirit just never have jived. Although I, every time I pull in there and I see her, I'm thinking, is, is there going to be a door today? Is there going to be a door today? Let me tell you what happened Thursday. I pulled in there and here she comes walking across her yard. And I thought, this is a little different. She's just walking out there and she comes up there. And we began to talk. She began to tell me how she was raised in the Catholic denomination. She said, I've never real bought into that. And all of a sudden, this lady that's never showed any emotion, she's sitting across a picnic table from me in her front yard. And all of a sudden, the, hell, the, the tears well up in her eyes. And she just looks at me and she says, Rob, I'm just telling you, I don't have no joy. And then she looked at me and she said, I'm going to tell you something else, Rob. I know I ought to be the most grateful person in the world. But I'm just so ungrateful. Now, what do you think when she said, I've lost my joy and I should be the most grateful person in the world and I'm ungrateful. What do you think I was thinking? I was jumping up and down inside. I'm thinking, just shut up. I'm fixing to dry the tears, lady. Now, why do you think I was doing that? I preached a message two weeks ago. There's power in, what did she lose? There's power in joy. She had lost that, but it had something else behind it. There's power in joy and gratitude. That's the message I preach. This lady just told me, I've lost my joy. And I ought to be grateful, but I'm the most ungrateful person in the world. About an hour and a half later, after I preached that sermon for the fourth time, I'm hoping this lady has got her joy and gratitude back because she's trusted Jesus. But it's real easy to sit right there in these seats and lose your joy. And the people that ought to most be the most grateful people in the world who's got Jesus Christ in their hearts and they're no longer going to hell and they're going to heaven, that should be the most grateful people in the world. But let me tell you what happened. We neglect our salvation. Our prayer commitment is poor. Our Bible study is poor. And our church attendance is poor. And we sit right here. And guess what? We've neglected our salvation. We lose our joy. We lose our gratitude. But then I'll tell you what else happens. We lose our witness. What are we called to be? The light of the world. And the world is dark as it's ever been, so the lights ought to be shining brighter than they've ever shined. Right or wrong? But let me tell you where the church is today. We've heard it said and it's well said. The church has become keepers of aquariums instead of fishers of men. A lot of you dozed off and missed that, so I'm going to say it again. 
The church today has become keepers of the aquariums, our churches, instead of being what God called us to be, and that is fishers of men. You ever want to read about a church that become a keeper of the aquarium? Go to Revelation chapter 2 and read about the church at Ephesus. He said, I, I will say this about you. You recognize a false preacher. You know real doctrine. Sounds to me like that church was pretty good at keeping the aquarium. Not gonna let no false prophet preach. Not gonna let no lies loose in the, in the, in the body of believers. Sound to me like the church at Ephesus got pretty good at keeping the aquarium. But he says, I've got this against you. You've left your first love. Remember when you first got saved? You wanted to shine bright for Jesus. You wanted to be a fisherman of men. You wanted to share your faith. You wanted to pray. You wanted to read your Bible. You couldn't wait till church night. Come on! But now you've just locked yourself inside the four walls, making sure there ain't any false preaching or false doctrine. He said, I've got something against you. You've left your first love. I never saved you to sit and soak inside the four walls. Listen, if you don't get back to your first love doing what you know to do, I'm going to remove from you the lampstand. I tell you what's going to happen when you neglect your salvation. You're going to lose your witness. Huh? You're going to lose your joy. And let me tell you thirdly what you're going to lose. You're going to lose your blessing. Don't matter to you. You don't have to stay. You can get up and leave right now. If you'd rather have blessing than a busting. Have you ever read Hebrews chapter 12 verse 6? For whom the Lord loves, He chastens. In other words, if you're not obedient to me, you're not praying, you're not in your Bible, you're not in church, and you're not devoted to doing these devotions, guess where you're headed, folks? The woodshed. I don't, I talked about back in my day in school, most of, some of you kids don't know what the woodshed is. That's the principal's office. And you didn't get time out. You got your butt busted. So look here. Do you know, do you realize God's still in the busting business? He ain't bought into this time out deal. He hadn't bought into this spare in the rod deal. If you're my kids, and you don't do what I say, you're losing your blessing, and you're going to the woodshed. Now, I'm all against the name it and claim it, health, wealth, and prosperity. You guys know that. Because they're way over there and they're just naming things they want to claim. But the Baptist is too far the other way. If that Bible names it, you know what we ought to do as Baptists? We ought to claim it. In other words, if we're obedient to the Word of God and He says you, you, you can have this and that, we ought to say, you know what? I want His blessings. And if He named it, I can claim it. See, if we name it, we can't claim it. But if He names it in His Word, we ought to be claiming it. And He claims we can have His blessings through obedience. Let me just tell you how that Truett deal went yesterday. So, Trey, you know, my, my kids, other than Ashley, they don't ride horses. They're scared of them. They don't want on them. Trenton won't get on one. 
And I'm going to laugh. I want to be close to him in heaven when God says, Boys, get out of the, get, push yourself back from the table and mount up. I want to see Trenton's face. Uh, you know what his face is when I tell him mount up at our house? I'll just walk. The boy walked miles together, cows. Good thing he's strength and conditioning coach in his shape because he ain't riding a horse. You know, that boy's going to mount up after that marriage supper of the lamb that we don't cook, Miss Candy. Listen to me. So yesterday, Trey watches the videos, and, and, and I mean, I just stick old Truett on Molly and turn him loose. My wife goes to hollering at me, you're getting a little brave! I mean, I just cut him loose. But before I did, here's what I told him. I said, if you want to help me gather cows, he's telling me, let's gather the cows out of the well house pasture, and then we'll go to the middle where the bullfrogs are in the pond, and we'll get them cows, past Paul, and then we'll go to the back pasture before we go to the meadow. I mean, he knows the pastures. So I said, well, if you're going, and, and he said, I want to ride by myself. And so I'm thinking, well, I think I'll just let him today. There ain't nobody out here, and I just... So, so he proves he can do it. Here's what I do. I, I saddle Miss Molly. I put his bridle on her. And I said, now, you got, if you're going to get the cows by yourself, you've got to prove to me you can make her go where you want her to. She's not just going to go where she wants to go. Okay. I said, so I want you to ride her out of the barn. I want you to ride over there through that walk-through gate. And I want you to ride her back through the pens. And I want you to reach out and touch that back gate and then bring her back to me. Okay. So he takes off out of the barn. He rides right past the gate, but he don't pull, he don't turn. I said, true it. I said, I told you to ride in the... Pastor Paul, I don't want to ride in that pen. I want to ride down the house, see if the renters are there. <laughs> VRBO. He wants to ride down to the house and see if the renters are there. I said, well, I told you to ride in the pen. I don't want to ride in the pen, Pastor Paul. He, he, I'm telling you... His pawpaw on the other side has put a hard-headed streak in him. And so, what did I do? I said, I tell you what. If you'll turn Molly around, and you'll ride through this little gate right here, and you'll ride back there and touch that gate, and then ride her back to me, I'll tell you what we'll do. Now, if it'd be Trey, I'd have had to promise him Texas Day Brazil, high-dollar food. You know what I promised Truett? Moody store. He lit up. He said, a corn dog. I said, if you'll ride not to the renters in this pen, touch that gate back to me, we'll go eat at Moody store. He said, a corn dog? And after a corn dog, a sucker? I said, yeah. And I'm telling you, he pulled Miss Molly around. He rode in the gate. He touched the end of the gate. And he rode right out there. I done named it, didn't I? And let me tell you, it didn't take him long to ride up to me and claim it. He said, he went to scooting out of that seat. He said, can we go to Moody's store and I'll have a corn dog and I'll have a sucker? And so I took him off, tied the horse up, and we drove to Moody's store and he had a corn dog and a sucker. And let me tell you what, I went ahead and got him a blue bug juice <laughs> because I want to be the past Paul that does exceedingly abundantly above what that boy even thinks or asks. Huh? Is that not a picture of God to us? 
I don't want to go this way. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And God through His Word says, if you'll do that, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll have some corn dogs, some suckers, and I'll even throw a blue bug juice on it, spiritually speaking. If a little over two-year-old boy knows there's blessing in obedience, what in the world's with us Christians when we flat out disobey the Word of God? And expect to get a corn dog and a sucker and a bug juice. God help us. You neglect your salvation. I'm going to tell you something. You're going to lose your joy, your witness, and your blessing. I told you that was written to believers. But let me go ahead and throw this. Somebody here today is lost. And let me tell you something. There's worse, there is something way worse than losing your joy. There's something way worse than losing your witness and your blessing. If you're here today and you're lost and you neglect that salvation, you don't lose your joy. You don't lose your witness. You don't lose your blessing. If you're here today and you're lost and you neglect this salvation, you lose your soul to an everlasting, ever-burning hell. You with me? You've heard me share Aaron Burr's testimony of the politician of yesteryear. On his deathbed, someone said, Mr. Burr, what's the worst mistake you made in your life? And on his deathbed, he said, well, it was back in college. Now listen to this. There was a big revival at the university I attended. Man! You say, what are you saying, man, about it? What, what, What would happen if our university started hosting revivals? That's what I'm saying, man, about they once did. And Aaron Burr said night after night he went to that revival and he was convicted, convicted, convicted. And he was a place so miserable, he was asked the worst mistake he ever made. He said he doubled up his fist and pointed it to God's face and said, God, leave me alone. And on his deathbed, that politician said the worst mistake he'd ever made was telling God to leave him alone because God did exactly what he asked. Don't ask God to leave you alone. If God's saying, come to me, come to me for salvation, come to me for eternal life, it's free, it's forgiving, it's full, it's forever. That's why it's great. Don't leave here today without doing that. Let's all stand. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed.